Welcome to the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. To learn more about Salem Alliance, including house churches, gathering times, and other resources, please visit us online at salemalliance.org. Today's talk is given by Rob Basham. Hey church, happy Palm Sunday. Thanks for joining us today. My name is Rob. I'm one of the preachers here at Salem Alliance, and I'm excited today to bring to you a sermon about Palm Sunday. A few years ago, actually over a decade ago, my family had just moved to the Middle East, and we had just arrived in the city of Amman, Jordan. My wife and I and our two little daughters, they were two and like six months at the time, and we were adjusting to life in a new country. In this big city, we were learning how to navigate taxis and take those everywhere. We were in language school trying to learn this difficult language of Arabic, and life was pretty heavy. We were pretty tired, and we had met this other couple. They were becoming good friends of ours. They also were trying to learn Arabic, and they were also Americans. We said, we need to get away. We need to get out of the city and get away for for a long weekend. And so we booked this four-star hotel down along the Red Sea, and I remember we jumped in the bus. We, We had three kids with us, all two and under, and we headed four hours south to the Red Sea. And I remember we got out of the bus station, we walked, we found our hotel, and at first glimpse it was kind of like, that's not quite like the pictures. And we walked into the lobby, and it was pretty crowded, and we had to fight our way through, and we got our two rooms, and I remember we we took our luggage back, and we went to, to our room, and we opened the door, and just, wow, okay, hasn't really been cleaned very well. That doesn't look like a very comfortable bed. We opened the door to the bathroom, and it's one of these bathrooms that have kind of a shower that is the bathroom, and it just drains, and there's some stuff on the wall that should be in the toilet, and it was just not a good place to be. And then we went out to see at least, well, what are the grounds like? What about that cool pool that we saw? And we went out, and there's this big concrete just hole that it was filled with seawater, Red Sea water, not even fresh filtered water. And the place was packed and music was blaring. And we all just looked at each other and were like, oh, man. You see, we had expectations of a four-star hotel being right here. And what we were witnessing and the reality we were facing was somewhere down here. And what was in between was disappointment and disillusionment. And we were getting frustrated. And how oftentimes that, that, that's how it is. You see, expectations are powerful. Sometimes it's the other side, and, and we, we reserve the Toyota Yaris, but we get there, and actually we got quite a nice upgrade. And sometimes expectations exceed. But expectations are powerful, and it's good to be expectant. We're made to have these expectations, so don't get me wrong. I'm not saying expectations are bad, but today I want us to see that these powerful expectations can sometimes get in the way from us seeing what God is doing. We need to realize this from the outset today, because as we look at this story of the triumphal entry, I want us to understand that Jesus didn't come to meet our expectations He came to meet our needs. He didn't come to be our short-term rescuer and give us a blessed life here on earth with ultimate provisions. His vision was much grander than that. He came to save and deliver humankind from the bondage of sin and shame. He came to serve and to give his life as a ransom so that we could live in fullness. Today, I want to focus on a particular question, and it's what I believe, you know, this whole scripture looks at, but especially this passage that we're looking at today. Who is this Jesus? Who is this Christ? 
in our scripture today and the events that follow his triumphal entry into the city of Jerusalem, they answer that question. Yet along the way, and even at the story's end, the people really are not getting it. They're missing it. But why? I believe a major reason is that they're missing it is that their personal expectations got in the way. See, I believe that the story we're looking at today is a a story of missing the full picture. It's a story about how our sometimes rigid expectations can keep us from missing God's realities among us. And that's what I want us to talk about today. Our expectations can cause us to miss God's realities. Today, we're going to look at this familiar passage, and I'm going to run it through basically three questions. Here are the three questions that we're going to be looking at. First, how did the expectations of the early Jews, of the, of the Jews living during the actual events that we're reading about, how did those expectations shape how they see Christ? Second, how do our expectations shape how we see Christ? And then third, the purpose of this passage, who is this Christ? Who is this Jesus that we get to behold? Those are the three questions I hope that we are able to collectively evaluate the lenses that we might have on, these expectations that we have today as we look to see who this Christ is. So if you want to turn with me, I'm going to be reading from Matthew 21, verses 1 to 11 this morning. Verses 1 to 11, the story of the triumphal entry. This is the word of the Lord. As Jesus and the disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the town of Bethpage on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two of them on ahead. He said, go into the village over there. As soon as you enter it, you will see a donkey tied there with its colt beside it. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone asks you what you are doing, just say, the Lord needs them, and he will immediately let you take them. This took place to fulfill the prophecy that said, Tell the people of Jerusalem, Look, your king is coming to you. He is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. The two disciples did as Jesus commanded. They brought the donkey and the colt to him, and they threw their garments over the colt, and he sat on it. Most of the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him, and others cut branches from trees and spread them on the road. Jesus was in the center of the procession, and all the people around him were shouting, Praise God for the Son of David. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Praise God in the heavens. The entire city of Jerusalem was in an uproar as he entered. Who is this? they asked. And the crowds replied, It is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. This is the word of the Lord. I love this story so much. I love what's going on here, and there's so much that we could discuss. There's so much that is rich for current application. There are all these Old Testament prophecies that are being realized in this moment, and I love to see those hyperlinks. It strengthens my faith. In other gospel accounts, we see Jesus at part of this procession. He bows down and he weeps over the city as he realizes these people he loves are not getting it. They are missing the reality that is there. The the part of me that, that understands the authoritative ability, the authoritative just spirit that we get to have loves this story because here is Christ sitting on this untamed colt, this never ridden beast. And it's a picture of the authority 
that we're supposed to have as humans that we forfeited in the garden, but it's being restored with the events that are about to unfold. I love this passage. And so I want to jump in. And the first question that we're looking at today is how did the expectations of these Jews that are living during the time of these actual events shape how they saw Christ? How did the current historical context and culture shape how the people saw Jesus? You see, there's a lot going on. And the context that is happening is really important to, to, to grasp. These people are expecting a Messiah. And in their minds, that Messiah comes with a level of kingship. He will be a political or military ruler that will come and will free them from the Roman occupation that they have been under for the last 80 years. The people are waiting to be freed from oppression. And that freedom will come through military leadership. And most people are thinking Jesus is that. You see, even the palm branches that the people are placing down before him testify to this. Because some years earlier, in fact, 80 years earlier, or 30 years earlier, we had the Maccabean revolt. And, and there, th this group of Jews actually freed the people through military, just force. They came in, they wiped out the pagan rulers at the time, and they freed the people. And so even the palm branches are testifying to people, their expectations that a military leader is about to come. See, the crowds, what they were hoping for when they saw Jesus riding into town, it reminded them of the stories of King David and King Solomon and their ceremonial rides into Zion. But the thing is, their expectations were so just standard there for them that they missed the animal he was riding. They missed the, just the kickback to Zechariah 9, this picture that God is coming in lowly, humble on a donkey. The Romans equally had expectations. They knew that the people were expecting a military leader to come in and free them from oppression. They understood it. They knew that the, this was the hope of the people, that a rebellion, that an uprising was about to happen. They had their informants. Likely many of them were the wealthy Pharisees who really were doing quite well, taking advantage of the Roman oppression. But Pilate and his crew, they understood what was happening. This is the reason that during the Passover season, another procession was taking place in Jerusalem. In fact, historians say that every Passover, Pilate would bring his crew together and he would demonstrate his incredible strength with an incredible show of intimidation. And on the other side of the city, a procession of Roman war horses and armored Roman soldiers would march through the city, reminding people, go ahead and try to revolt. Go ahead and start an uprising. See how that goes for you. They would spread the stories of the failed uprising, the failed coup that had happened 30 years earlier, started by a particular village where the Romans actually put down the revolt and then crucified 200 people from that village. You see, the majority of Jews, they were expecting this. In fact, the city, this would be the time. This Passover time, this is when it would happen. The population of the city quickly would go from 50,000 to 500,000. This was almost like a modern-day pilgrimage to Mecca where massive crowds descend on a small city. So if there was ever a time that the revolt would happen, it would be in this week. And so people were looking around 
Who will be the freedom maker? Will he make himself known this year? The people had an expectation. But what about Jesus' inner circle? They didn't think this way, right? They knew what was about to happen. No. Even his inner circle missed it. If you look at the chapter leading up to this, Matthew 20, we see this to be true. Those closest to him, they're walking on their way to Jerusalem, on this pilgrimage themselves, and Jesus begins to make clear what's going to happen. He predicts his death. It says, as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the 12 disciples aside privately, and he told them what was going to happen. Listen, he said, we're going up to Jerusalem where the Son of Man will be betrayed to the leading priests and the teachers of religious law. They will sentence him to die. Then they will hand him over to the Romans to be mocked, flogged with a whip, and crucified. But on the third day, he will rise from the dead. It's pretty clearly laid out there for the disciples. You would think they would get it, but they had expectations. They had lenses that were actually quite political. This Jesus of Nazareth, they had seen his power. They had seen the crowds that had started to follow him, and it was going to go down. This was the Passover year. Freedom from Roman occupation was finally going to take place. Jesus was going to lead this revolt. And these disciples, who were once lowly fishermen, who were average men, were now going to get a seat, a seat at the round table, a seat close to positions of power and prestige. Their expectations blinded them to the reality that was unfolding before them. It's really clear. We see what happens next in this story is the, 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 the question from the mother of James and John, and they didn't seem to stop it, who requests, Jesus, may my son sit at your right hand and your left in this new kingdom. Jesus tells her, you have no idea what you're even asking. They wanted to be part of the cabinet. They wanted to be part of the inner circle, close to the proximity, prox proximate to the power, and their expectations had blinded them. The masses missed it. Those closest to Jesus missed it. And so church, if this crew that Jesus walked intimately with missed these aspects about the kingdom of God and who this Christ is, the question is, how do our expectations shape how we see Christ? And how might our expectations keep us from seeing who he really is? For years, UPS used the advertising slogan, what can Brown do for you? And truth is, many of us, myself included, often unintentionally, have a similar view of Christ. What can Christ do for us? Though that's the wrong posture. And there's a danger because that often leads to unfulfilled expectations. Oftentimes here at church, we sing this song, King of My Heart. And I love that song. And I, I, I love the songwriter who wrote it. But oftentimes we get to that part where we're singing, you're never going to let me down. And I got to tell you, there's something in me that often kind of just, there's this like weird thing. And I'm not sure if I really want to see it because oftentimes truth is I'm let down. And we can misconstrue the lyrics of that song because oftentimes I think we put our expectations on Jesus with our limited perspectives. And guess what? They aren't met. And that's hard for us. 
I've met too many people over the past few years, young, generally younger men and women who have left the church. They've left the church because they had expectations that were here, but reality of what was unfolding in their life was here, and that area in between, that disappointment led to disbelief. See, unbelief often surfaces because life is not turning out how we thought. Unfulfilled expectations often challenge our belief. And church, I'm assuming you've battled moments like this. We see them throughout Scripture. Abraham faced things like this, God's promise of a great nation, and yet he's struggling with infertility. We have Israel at the base of Mount Sinai waiting for Moses to come back and thinking he must be dead, walking towards unbelief. Elijah on the run from Jezebel. The stories are many. In every case, there was some kind of expectation in the person's mind, in their heart, and it wasn't met. And as a result, there was a crisis of belief. And that's often the truth. Despair, disbelief, they turn to doubt. One of my favorite books that that I often go back to on leadership is a book called Leadership on the Line by uh, Heifetz and Linsky. And there's this quote in in, in it that I often use in leadership, leadership circles. It's, leadership is about disappointing your own people at a rate they can absorb. So you challenge people, but only at a rate they can absorb. You disappoint people, but only at a rate they can absorb. And according to that, I just want you to understand something. Jesus is not a good leader, according to them. You see, he, again, he's, he doesn't care about our expectations. He cares about our needs. And so because of that, we look at his disciples, and they were disappointed and confused. They didn't get it. Some doubted. Some denied. One betrayed him. In church, I think we have to understand that faith isn't dealing, with, isn't dealing with unmet expectations and staying the course through the disappointment. Faith is realizing that when Christ doesn't come to the rescue the way we expect him to, there are reasons bigger than our understanding. And so the question that I want you to consider is, what is the four-star expectation that you've placed on Christ? Where is the mindset that everything goes better with Jesus? Where have you let that creep in? Where have you distorted expectations with some false narratives and personal desires? Some of you are asking the question, why didn't God save my marriage? Why did he take away my spouse so early due to sickness? Why did that healing not come? God, you say you're a provider, but why do I feel like I barely have enough every month? For some of us, our faith is tied to how our country is doing. It becomes political. We have these expectations that the morality of our country will improve, and then when it doesn't, that unmet expectation becomes a struggle and anger and doubt follow. Church, how are our expectations shaping how we see Christ? How are they affecting the reality of God's kingdom unfolding around us? Are we willing to let go of some of those expectations? Are we willing to clear the lenses with which we see the reality of this God we serve See, it's this final question that gets to that reality. 
Who is this Jesus? Who is this Christ that we behold? See, my hope this morning is to help you bring clarity to the one that it is who you are worshiping. This is the part where I actually get to preach a little bit, and I'm kind of excited, so bear with me. But let me just start by saying that he often does things beyond our expectations. You see, these first century Jews, they thought they were getting a place at the table. That was their four-star hotel, and yet Jesus leaves, and he's building mansions for them in heaven. You see, while Pilate is leading the Roman centurions, and he's asserting his power and intimidating the people there who are under oppression, Jesus is riding in on a young donkey. He's embodying a peace and a level of tranquility and the shalom that his kingdom is known for. They were expecting a lion, but what came was a lamb. You see, Christ is a God of peace. Do you recognize this? Do you behold him for the God of peace that he is? Jesus is taking the posture of a servant leader here. Though this is often called the triumphal entry, it is an entry of humility. It is one that is meek and humble. and is a different kind of king that is revealed. It is the king that just told the sons of Zebedee, whoever wishes to be great, whoever wishes to be great must first be a servant, just as the son of man came not to be served, but serve. Your greatness will be measured by the extent of your service. This is the way of the lamb. But don't confuse servant leadership with one who lacks authority. Because after riding into the city, Jesus enters the temple. And what does he do? He scatters it. He tosses tables over and the righteous anger comes out. He messes with the money changers and those that are selling animals for sacrifice. He declares that my house will be a place of prayer. He's a God of righteousness. He's making clear to his people that this will not be tolerated. He is passionate. He hates injustice. And here we have pilgrims and worshipers that have traveled from afar being forced to pay six to ten times more than they should for a dove or a lamb. And he says, not in my temple. Our Christ is one who hates injustice. We worship a God who wants to restore things to the way they were intended to be. He is passionate and he has a righteous anger. Do your lenses allow you to see that? Do you behold him for this? And the story continues because who comes to him next? The blind and the lame. In church, Christ is a healer. We behold this. We worship him in his healing grace. But do your lenses allow you to receive this? When you are not well, where do you turn first? Is it the pharmacy? Is it to make a call to the doctor? Or do you go to the great physician? Do you come to the elders to be anointed and prayed for? Church, our God heals. Who is this Jesus? What happens next are the leading priests and teachers of the law get mad because the children are saying, praise God for the son of David. They are worshiping this Jesus. And Jesus is confronted. Do you hear what these kids are saying? And his response is, yes. Haven't you read the scriptures? For God has taught even the children and infants to give praise. Church, he is the son of David, the son of God, deserving praise from the youth, from his creation. For if humankind won't exalt him, even the rocks will cry out. It's fascinating to me as this story moves forward that it's the children and it's the blind that do get it. 
the blind with no lens to distract, the children innocence with a simplicity of faith. They have not led lives that have had to deal with unmet expectation after unmet expectation. The complexities of life have yet to invade, and they get it. Who is this Christ? He is the giver of peace. He is the servant leader. He is the one angered by religiosity and injustice. But above all of that, church, who is this Christ? He is king. Palm Sunday is about realizing that he is king. In reality, what happened during this Passover season exceeded any expectation that there was. A seemingly harmless procession became an earth-shattering reality. When Jesus enters this city, he takes the whole city by storm. It says that the city shook. Who is this? Jerusalem shook like an earthquake in the presence of the Christ King because Jesus claimed the city's economics, its politics, and its culture for the way of God. In this city and in the whole world, things would never be the same. It was all shaken at its foundations. And so as we enter Holy Week, as we prepare for meditating on Christ's death this Friday and celebrating his resurrection next Easter Sunday, may we also examine our own hearts. There's some things that I'd encourage you to do this week during this Holy Week. And the first is this. Would you take time and would you be honest and write out the expectations that you have of Jesus? Would you take some time and do that? Trust me, you have them. I have them. We might not even realize that we have placed them on him, but we have. So would you take a couple of minutes to realize where you've done that? And when you do that, would you stop and consider how the expectations that you have created may be keeping you from seeing who Christ really is and how his kingdom works? And finally, as we enter into this holy week, would you do so with a discovery mindset, wanting to understand with more clarity who Jesus is? Would you dig into the scriptures in a new and a fresh way? And would you consider coming to our Way of the Cross event? Our walkthrough event's going to be open all week. You don't need to register. Check our website to see when it's open. But as you do that, I pray that you behold him, the servant king. Let's pray. Jesus, we declare that you are king. King Jesus, I worship you right now. We worship you right now. So, Lord, as we prepare to go back into worship, Lord, I pray that you would even make yourself known. That some of these expectations that are clouding who you really are and the way your kingdom work would fall even now. Jesus, as we embrace the week ahead of us, I pray that we would just experience you in new and fresh ways. Lord, you changed it all. It didn't look the way they thought it would look. It was so much better. So we worship you. And we ex wait in expectation for your return. We declare that you are good. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. We hope you've been challenged and inspired. 
Salem Alliance is a community of believers located in downtown Salem, Oregon, and we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. To experience other messages and discover more about who we are, please visit at SalemAlliance.org or download the Salem Alliance app. And again, thanks for listening.